Welcome to the All Things Bright and Beautiful podcast. I'm Jenna DePrima here with my co-host Lydia Shibley, and this is a discussion of life, books, and theology from a confessionally reformed Christian perspective. Hello, and welcome back to All Things Bright and Beautiful. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Dr. Alan Noble. Uh, Dr. Noble is an associate professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University, has contributed to the Gospel Coalition, First Things, and Christianity Today, among other places. Um, He's also published two books. The first is Disruptive Witness, and then the book we're talking about today, which is You Are Not Your Own, which was published in 2021 um, by InterVarsity Press. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Noble. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your family, and your work? Sure. Yes. Um, So I, as you said, teach here at Oklahoma Baptist University. I teach literature, especially modern and contemporary American and British literature, um, as well as uh, Western civilization and composition and a class like film film noir and professional editing. I live with my wife and three children. We attend Shawnee Presbyterian Church here in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And... um, I was homeschooled. Oh, ah, me it. too. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's neat. <laughs> so, uh, I guess we'll just we'll go ahead and dive right into your book. So you talk about, I think, in kind of towards the beginning of the book, how we are all you, you describe us as like lions, kind of trapped, living in a world that we weren't designed for, and so because of that, as a result of that, um, we experience depression from, from the suffering that results of being in this inhuman world that we weren't designed for. So what do you think, like, what are the essential factors that make our world inhuman? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I think one of the strongest factors is what I talk about later in the text. Uh, it would be technique, this drive for efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, technique and technology are ways of constraining us, constantly pressuring us to be more and more efficient, constantly pressuring us to be less and less human and to be more and more perfect um, and to adapt to technology and to adapt to a world that is not really made for humans. Um, so I think those are some of the ways that, um, probably the, the biggest, broadest category would be technique mm-hmm. and, and efficiency. Yeah. Um, it's interesting cause in, in your book, you talked about sort of how we experience this burnout, which is really interesting. Mm. If you think about like our work, like the sort of work we do now versus maybe the work that people did a hundred hundreds of years ago, which was much more physically demanding. And yet I I think what you say is very true. We have this sense of burnout and, and like an inability to, um, uh, I mean, you talk about leisure and I think that's helpful too, but like, so we have an inability to truly rest and we experience this burnout. And yet what we're doing is not, I mean, it's hard, but it's not the same physical demanding. So how, how do you think that we kind of arrived there? if that makes sense, like how, how have we shifted? So is it just, is it just technology or is it this, this sort of secular shift that has happened in Western civilization? Is it both of those things together? It's a lot of things. One I, I, I like to think of is that uh, we don't live in as 
close community. I mean, mm. you know, it's it's hard to do all the things that we're doing when we don't have when many of us don't have close friends and close family that we can rely on nearby. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. examples I give in the book is raising small children, which we tend to do in utter isolation, um, mm-hmm. which will drive you crazy. Well, <laughs> at right. least it'll drive most yeah. people crazy right? It's, it's just, it's just mind numbing. And well, uh, traditionally you would, you would raise children in community with lots of other mm-hmm. children and lots of other parents. And well, that, that's a very different experience. And so, um, I think when you add that to things like technique, you can see how burnout can easily happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you, I think you mentioned in the book of this sort of being a third world problem. Do you think some of these same, because in other cultures, um, maybe this idea of community is still there or that technique and, um, oh shoot, I lost the word that you said earlier. Uh, efficiency. That's the word. Sorry. Mm. This technique and efficiency, we, we've, we, maybe other cultures don't value them as highly as we do. Um, so do any of these things that you talk about maybe plague other places or is this really like a Western problem? Yeah, that, so I'm not, I have not traveled sufficiently enough to say for sure. Uh, what <laughs> I can say is this. You're not an expert on every culture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, exactly. What I can say is this, is that, you know, I know that the West is, is the dominant culture. I'm not saying that it ought to be. I'm just saying right, that right. we export a lot of our culture across the globe and that it influences a lot of places that have more traditional cultures. And so um, I, I think you'll find a lot of these places, um, in a lot of places that, that still value family and friends mm-hmm. and local communities, starting to see the encroachment of, uh, of things like technique and um, things that are eroding um, f- those, those communities and pr- uh, promoting, for example, uh, autonomous individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still plenty of places that, that, that don't experience these problems in the same way because they just don't fundamentally believe in individualism like we do in the West. Mm-hmm. They so, have other problems. Lots of places have other problems. <laughs> oh, yeah, not for sure. <laughs> yeah, perfect. But, yeah, 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 definitely. So kind of like I, I just referenced a little bit ago, you, you kind of, I guess, paint this bleak picture of humanity in the first first half of your book, justifiably so. Um, and d- you talk a lot about how we're, we're all destined for despair and, and meaningless meaninglessness, despite this drive we seem to all have for some kind of meaning. We, we want meaning and yet we're not finding it. So what do you think, why do you think, I guess, if, if people, if we're kind of all essentially self-medicating, like maybe it's, I mean, that's certainly in different ways for different people. Why do you think it may, may appear that some people aren't self-medicating or that they are happy or that, you know, that it seems like they don't, they don't feel this sense of meaninglessness. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's of course possible that some people are doing perfectly well and, uh, I want to allow for that, but it's also the case. I, what I try to do with the book is back up and expand our understanding of what self-medicating is. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, you know, we like to think when we, th- when we talk about self-medicating, we like to think of something like alcohol or, or pot or um, maybe something like, you know, certain online video games or something, you know, very narrow. And it tends to be classic, uh, classist in, in nature. But the reality mm-hmm. is, you know, exercise can be a form of, of self-medication. 
Um, you know, uh, shopping therapy can be a, a form of self-medication. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of ways that you can self-medicate that appear to be on the surface. If, you know, if you're wealthy enough, it can appear like you're living a very successful, happy life. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in fact, a flourishing life and an and enviable life on Instagram. But actually, mm -hmm. um, all those things that appear to be enviable are just ways that you're numbing yourself because you're, you're, you're miserable. Mm -hmm. um, so um, there are coping techniques, right? Because your life is, is fundamentally dysfunctional. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, I'm not saying that's always the case, but I do think that, that, um, and I'm, you know, obviously exercise is good, but I think that once we back up and expand our understanding of what self-medication is, we could see that there are lots of different ways and it's not just the, the classic ways that mm -hmm. we self-medicate to cope. Yeah. And, and in like sort of the first half of the book, you talk about all these self-medicating techniques that we use, which I think was an excellent list of just, just really pinpointing, look, this is like you were saying, this is a, it's a much broader category of, of these things that we're using to numb ourselves from, from the reality that we experience. But you mentioned some of the same things, both in the, the first half and then in the second half, when you talk about belonging to God. Um, so you, you sort of, uh, there's on, in the first half, it's like, these are self-medicating things. Like let's say binging television could be self-medicating because you don't want to think about yeah your existence. But then in, in the second half, you talk about how Christians could, you can sit and enjoy a, a television show with your wife. That's funny. And that you enjoy. So how, how are those, how is that same action? Like yeah. it could be the same show, right? How right. is that same action different in, in this first half, which is this modern sensibility of, of, um, inhuman living versus the second half, which is you belong to God. What shifts between those two? Yeah. So in the first, when you're using it to self-medicate and to cope, it's a form of escape and it's a form of numbing. With the latter, I think what you're doing is uh, you're doing it in gratitude to God. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that if you can do something and, and it is, it is soothing you, it, there is a comfort that's involved in it. So, uh, and that's something that I try to communicate. It, it's not that when you're watching the TV show and you're laughing that it doesn't, um, that it's not actually providing you any sense of comfort. I think it, I think it can, right. and, and, and that's good, just like good food and good companionship mm -hmm. and good, you know, a good walk in the park can, can comfort you. Um, but there's a, a way of doing it that is not, um, first of all, ignoring the reality of life around you. And second of all, you're doing it to the, uh, in gratitude toward, toward God. So it's mm -hmm. not about self-absorption and, uh, escapism, mm -hmm. but you're doing it in constant awareness that this is a gift from God mm -hmm. so that you can get through today because life is, uh, very difficult. And this is part of what I try mm -hmm. to argue in the second half of the book is that if the first half of the book is right, if the analysis is correct, mm -hmm. then I don't have a silver bullet that's going to right. magically wipe this all away, which means that we have to learn to accept that life is going to be really difficult. And um, we're going to still need things that, that help us through the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's healthy ways of doing that. And there are ways that are, that are self-medicating and fundamentally destructive and, and even sinful. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to discern yeah. between those two. And I think there's mm -hmm. grace for that too. 
right? And that's mm-hmm. what I try in that section to talk about is having grace for mm-hmm. each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's going to be hard to tell that line between, you know, self-medicating and doing something to the ingratitude mm-hmm. to, go out, to God. So what I don't want is a bunch of people um, judging each other, walking around judging mm-hmm. each right. other. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in many ways that, that, uh, doing it in gratitude, that's a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. You can't, yeah. you can't really gauge that for some, for someone else. Um, so how for you, like personally, as you sort of consider, um, weighing these things and sort of, is that sort of your litmus test of like, am I giving thanks to God as I do this thing? Like, how do you, how do you sort of, uh, self-assess as you're kind of coming to the next thing that you're going to do? Or do you, do you spend that much time thinking about it? Or is it just kind of like, I trust that I'm doing this in thankfulness to God? What's, what's your, like, I don't know, I don't want to say method, but how, what's your personal way of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think at this stage it's kind of intuitive. I mean, I can kind of tell when um, something is, is restful and leisurely and honoring to God and when something slips into uh, I'm scrolling endlessly through Twitter because mm-hmm. I feel a bunch of anxiety and I can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so I didn't put that in the book because it's not a really good test, but... Um, <laughs> But, you know, I know it when I see it is kind of how I operate. What's sort of your, um, so when you do that and you recognize, oh, I'm doing this thing because I'm feeling anxious, what, what's your like next step then? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, you know, some days, um, some days it's hard to get out. You know, it kind of depends mm-hmm. on where I'm at. Sometimes it's hard to get out. It kind of depends on how anxious I am and why. Um, other days, you know, I put it down and I go do something meaningful. Um, but I think what I try to do is is remember God's grace for me and, mm-hmm. uh, and rest in that um, as I try to sort through these things. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the ne- most important next step. When we discussed um, a little while back, we discussed Joe Rigney's book, Strangely Bright, and he talks about, you know, can we love God and enjoy this world? So I think that's a really helpful kind of book on this subject. Like if you're wanting to know, think through mm. this more, like how do I enjoy things of this world as a Christian? Um, and he talks a lot about what you just said and what you say in your book, viewing everything as a gift and like tracing it back to the giver. That's the difference between how we enjoy these things and how a non-Christian would enjoy them. Um but it, it is a complicated thing, I think, to sort through and something we kind of have to do often in our own consciences and in our own hearts. Um, so this is shifting gears a little bit, but you write in your book, you talk about how pornography is the epitome of mo- the modern condition. That's how you describe it. Can you expand on this a little bit? Why do you think per- pornography is kind of the epitome of our modern condition? Yeah, so pornography puts the individual at the center of the universe and says that whatever desires that you have ought to be catered to you. Um, That whatever you can possibly imagine, you ought to be able to have access to and you ought to be able to buy, um, regardless of human dignity and worth and um, any other constraints that you ought to be able to have access to it. It also says that um, human persons are disposable commodities and can be bought and Mm -hmm. sold, right? Um, And uh, so 
um, those are, I think, are the 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 big ones for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was just a really poignant sort of way of of just sort of shifting how we think. I mean, because I, I think most Christians, I may be speaking too broadly, but a, a lot of Christians would recognize pornography is is evil, mm. right? And and the way that we are, the way that we look at another person through pornography is is other than any sort of design. Um, but so then to take that and say, well, this paints the picture of what modern culture is like, I think is just a very poignant way of of helping us sort of examine a lot of areas. Um, because I think, like, we can point our fingers at that and say, oh, look how bad. But then all these other areas that you've addressed in the book, it's much easier for us to just say, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I th- and in a lot of ways, when I so when I started reading your book, I honestly, that first half, I was like, maybe mildly depressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is really awful. And like, I just, I like, I was maybe plunged slightly into the despair that you described, which yeah. was probably your intention. Yeah, a little <laughs> You bit. achieved it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is really hard to read. So if you're going to read the book, finish it. Yes. yes <laughs> um, because the second half, the second half, because the first half is really like you read it and you're like, wow, is there anything good anywhere? Um, the answer is without God, no. Um, but getting to that second half is a very, like, I don't want to say hopeful because you say, wait, without hope in quoting T.S. Eliot. But it is. It's hope filled in the right hope, which is not in ourselves, not what we achieve right. ourselves, but in God and what God does. Um, but what would you, so I, I was just thinking about sort of like Marx's criticism of like how religion is the opiate of the people. So he would say like, this is just another way that we are medicating. So what would maybe your um, response to that. I mean, it's kind of a, I feel like a lot of people respond to it, but I still think in, in the idea of we're talking self-medication, if some, someone else, an atheist perhaps says, this is just another form, or even someone who thinks well of religion says, well, that's great for you, but this is just another way that you're coping. What would sort of your response to that be? Well, um, it's a heck of a way to cope because it involves dying to self. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it does provide a comfort. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, that's, that's at the center of the book is this idea that there is comfort in life and death and belonging to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a paradoxical comfort because it, it's a comfort that involves dying to self. Um, and uh, that's a price that for contemporary people is um, uh, almost unimaginable. Um, so it's uh, hard for me to see that as something that's uh, a, a coping mechanism when it demands everything of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that just seems like a categorical error to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's yeah. just not the same kind of thing. Um, but the other thing is, is that um, if it does provide comfort, then very well it provides comfort. If it's true, it's true. And I mm-hmm. think it's true. Mm-hmm. So right. there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you were also right in your book. You say, once you honestly begin looking at what humans have the power to do with their actions, it can be terrifying. We make so many choices in life and there are so many ways to sin and cause harm without ever knowing it. So how would you encourage someone who maybe reads that and kind of becomes paralyzed in decision-making or is, is afraid of making the wrong decisions? Um, and I guess let's, let's say it's a Christian person. So how would you, how would you encourage a, some, a Christian to think about decision-making and, and, 
you know, not become paralyzed by this uh, reality. Are you talking about me? You're talking about how would I? Because that's what it sounds like. How would I? No. How would I comfort myself? No, it is me. I mean, it is me. Yeah, same. Could you tell Can me? I tell, how do I not be paralyzed? It's only it's only the concept of grace. Christianity doesn't work yeah. without the concept of mm-hmm. grace, mm-hmm. and it has to be real. Like it can't be just this pie in the sky thing. Like you really have to believe that you are able to uh, make decisions. And that God's sovereignty is sufficient for you. Mm. And his sovereignty is the sovereignty of love and mercy and grace. And that when you make mistakes because you are a a fallen human being, he still loves you. And he's still Mm. caring for you. He's still working all things together for your good. Mm -hmm. And um, that there is grace for those mistakes as well. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the that's the only way you can move through this world. Um, mm-hmm. The alternative mm-hmm. is that you that you freeze because, yeah, it's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Yeah, that has to be in yeah. your bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me a lot of um, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer argues in Ethics about just this idea that it we have to trust that. Christ's sacrifice covers even well-intentioned mistakes and and we have to go forward with this sense of faith and trust that we're not just left to ourselves, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. which I think is, is a really helpful because it's not, and he talks a lot about the sort of the, your right hand shouldn't know what your left hand is doing that Jesus talks about. And I I feel like what you paint in the second part is this sense of, we don't know sometimes we step forward in faith and obedience of, okay, we know that Christ commanded us to do this thing, but it doesn't feel very effective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it even feels like maybe this made things worse, Mm -hmm. but we're stepping, like you said, we're stepping forward with faith that grace covers our inability to do things perfectly and that we're not walking by ourselves, Mm -hmm. which I thought also earlier or later in the book, I think it's page 138, you talk about how you don't want people to start painting this picture of like find your identity in Christ or some people will say that, that they'll just sort of give it as like a capstone of, we'll just find your identity in Christ. Um, and I feel like you do a good job of, of showing it's, it's not just this other, cause you talk about, it's not just one more thing we tack on cause we're not yeah. shaping our identity. Like you said, we're mm-hmm. not responsible for creating our self identity. That's God has already made that mm-hmm. we're already what we're supposed to be in him. But it's a nice, uh, helpful shift mm-hmm. to think of instead of identity, so much identity, because everyone's talking about identity all the time, mm-hmm. to thinking of belonging, mm-hmm. like we belong to Christ. And so yeah. it's it's much less of this, let me figure out what my new identity in Christ is, but more, I already belong to him. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, as we're making these decisions, we know that we are the belonging is already there. And yeah. so we don't have to agonize in the same sense. It's not that we don't try to find the right thing to do or that there isn't a right thing to do. It's just we don't have to agonize in that same, oh, we're going to be lost if we slip up, Mm -hmm. which I think it was a really, again, like the first half of your book is very hard to read. But then when you read that second half, it's so redeeming to be like, oh, yeah, this is so such good news. Mm -hmm. Like it really is the best news. Right. Right. Amen. I hope so. That was my goal. That was my goal. Yes, and you're right. Achieved. If you, if you don't finish the book, you're going to be in a very sad place. So yes. finish the book. Yes. 
So how um, you talked also about how a Christian anthropology, I'll just quote you because it was a good, it was such a good way to put it. A Christian anthropology should radically change the way we think about careers in the West. And actually my husband and I were talking about this. So he's a, he's an OBGYN. And so just being in medicine, he's, he's just noted how much, like we have four children and how much life he misses with our kids because you have to be working so many hours in order to do so much. And it's just, just how so much of the, or you have to work so many hours in order to make retirement and you have to do this in order to have benefits. And just how so much of our culture is shaped around the sense of efficiency and making sure that we work so many hours without leaving any space for leisure, really. Yeah. Um, so how... We live in this, though, at the same time, right? We're not going to be able to revolutionize the world that we live in. We're here. Mm -hmm. So how would you maybe encourage people that are or like someone like my husband who's already in this really demanding career that doesn't leave a whole lot of space? Um, how, how can we be in those things and still make space for these the way that we should be living? Yeah, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean... Um, I think we have to think about this, first of all, as a long-term project. We have to think about how can we help our kids um, make choices mm -hmm. that will help them make have more space. Uh, mm -hmm. In the short term, we've got to fight for margins. Like, where are the margins that we can create space for um, a little bit of time for leisure? Uh, and recognizing that um, because of where we are and what we've chosen and where we live at time and space that we're not going to be able to, as you say, revolutionize things. And um, mm -hmm. we might be able to make some radical life changes, um, but some some of us can't. We're on a trajectory, and we just have to live within those constraints. And that's mm -hmm. okay, too. Um, yeah. Um, that's okay, too. But, um, but if we think about making those long-term changes by talking to our kids and helping them see things, mm -hmm. talking to younger mm -hmm. people in our churches, um, you know, maybe that's what we can do because, mm -hmm. yeah, we can't change the world immediately. And mm -hmm. right. yeah, maybe yeah. that's the best we can do. Mm -hmm. So in, in thinking about careers, how would you encourage, like, let's say a high school graduate, someone who's about to graduate to, as they're looking ahead to their options, how would you encourage them to choose wisely as they're thinking about their career? So I think I'm get, taking this from, from, from Tim Keller, but I can't remember. And he probably got it from someone else. So, I mean, I don't know. These things get passed down. But I always think you got to think about, I want to say it's five things. Let's see if I can remember them. Um, I think it's important to think about what you're good at doing, obviously. Um, you know, what are your skills and talents? I think it's important to think about what you're interested in doing. Um, those two are obvious. I think it's important to think about what your what you can feed your family at you know with. Um, uh, maybe it's only four things. Those uh, <laughs> well, you know, f f four. You know, I think praying about it and seeing if you feel led in a person, you know, in a particular direction. I think praying is 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 certainly is is wisdom. Um, but the fifth one, and the one I think we are most often likely to leave out, is asking what is actually good for my community, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's a good we'll, one. Yeah. we'll ask those other questions, but we'll often just leave out what's actually does my community need. And so we might find a job that we're good at and we enjoy that will make us lots of money, but maybe our community actually doesn't need a casino. 
Um, maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, maybe what, I'm in Oklahoma. Maybe our community needs something else, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it needs a doctor. Yeah. Right? Maybe it needs a public school teacher, right? So what are we doing that's helping them? Um, so, uh, it, and when you add that, I think it, it changes the calculation in, and in some really enlightening ways. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things yeah. I would, I would add. What are, um, so you said that you have three kids. What, how old are your, are your kids? Are they younger? Seven, 10 mm-hmm. and 12. Okay. So what are some ways that like, as you think about this concept that you talked about of having community living, I feel like as our kids get old, my oldest is only 10, but as kids get older, it can be really difficult. I mean, I think at all ages are probably difficult, but I think as kids get older, it can be hard to maintain some sense of community and that you can be attached to, your kids can be signed up for so many different things, or you can be attached to so many different things. Do you have like uh, a sort of rhythm or uh, a a principle you apply for your family in order to sort of cultivate community? and, And like, how do you think about that as a family? Not really. Not really. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. You know, at the beginning of my book, I say that I am not a guru. I don't have these things figured out. So that's, that's my way out. Um, I will say we, we've recently, we had a lot of uh, very good friends who uh, moved away. And so that kind of threw off our community. Uh, so yeah. um, that's changed that dynamic uh, entirely for us. And so we've had to sort of figure out, try to, not sort of, we've had to completely reassess what that looks like. Um, and so our plan, what we've tried to do is make Sunday afternoons a time where we invite somebody over at least, Mm -hmm. um, open our home to have somebody from church, especially over just for a Mm -hmm. meal, just to hang out and unstructured time, leisurely, no thought of efficiency, Mm -hmm. just hanging out. But, um, but yeah, things have changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even just that of, of saying we're going to carve out time that mm-hmm. will leave space for leisure. I've, I feel like that alone is fairly countercultural. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there's many people talking about, oh, we, we have this space for, there's no efficiency. There's no agenda. We're just mm-hmm. going to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine that cultivates community in a lot of ways just by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we're trying. Well, that's what I could say is we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> so we love talking about reading on the podcast. We like to talk about books. What? So we would love to hear what are some books that maybe you're currently reading and have been enjoying or have read recently and enjoyed? That's a good question. I have not read. I'm not reading. I only read for class at this point in the semester. Um, and uh, I mean, I read... Um, recently I read the four loves by C.S. Lewis and weight of Mm -hmm. glory. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know it's, I should have read those a long time ago, but I didn't. And so I read them recently. (laughs) Was it your first time reading them? They're really good. Highly recommend. Turns out (laughs) this Lewis guy, turns out he's going places. The four loves (laughs) is fantastic. So yes, that those Mm -hmm. were, um, yeah, those were fantastic. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. So do you have any, so you've, you've published these two books. Um, do you have any other projects coming out or 
any any sort of plans in the works? Yeah, so in April, I have a new book coming out called On Getting Out of Bed, um, The hmm. Burden and Gift of Living. So it's on mental health, mental affliction. Um, it's sort of broader than mental health, I want to say. So I kind of use the word mental affliction yeah. to talk about because I, I don't want it to be just about you know, nearly diagnosed or diagnosable. I think, um, right. you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's broader than that, but it's, uh, it's about the kind of existential challenge that, um, I think everybody faces at some point in their life to choose to live despite the seriousness of, of suffering and, mm-hmm. uh, particularly mm-hmm. mental suffering and the way that that choice to live uh, testifies to the goodness of life and um, testifies to other people in ways that um, honor God. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's a short book. It's a little book based on a little essay I wrote. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It's kind of experimental because it's not a memoir and it's not a self-help book. Uh, and mm-hmm. It's not a mm-hmm. professional help book because I'm not a professional, a health professional. So mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's like a... <laughs> doesn't have a guess. More like philosophical, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, contemplative. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, here are some thoughts that I had on this topic. <laughs> and, uh, or, or kind of like a, a letter from a dear friend, um, but it's yeah. not addressed as a letter. And it's too long for a letter. So, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very excited about to see how that lands with people and see if it resonates, mm-hmm. but that's my next mm-hmm. project. That's great. that's great. I like the title. Yeah, it's a good title. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Dr. Noble. We'll, we'll uh, wrap things up with that, but uh, we do encourage you to, to check out his book. As we said at the beginning, it's called You Are Not Your Own um, through University Press. So we definitely encourage you to check it out and, and read it if it's something that, that interests you. And Lydia and I both um, found it very helpful and insightful. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like access to more resources, we have a website at allthingspodcast.org. We hope that you'll join us for our next episode.